Welcome back to our adult Sunday school and our study in the book of Romans. And I can't think of a better way to start off the new year than spending a couple of weeks looking at Romans chapter 8. So um, uh, if you have your Bible with me, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, but let me open our time together in, in prayer. Let's go to our gracious God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of life, uh, life in the body that we can enter uh, another year uh, in this uh, world and, uh, and see your rich uh, provision and providence uh, care for us, but even more for the eternal life, uh, one for us at the cross and, and the life-giving resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ and um, worked in us by your life-giving spirit. Lord, we are uh, so uh, grateful um, for the life that you give us uh, in Christ and in your spirit, and we are uh, grateful for how you have um, made yourself known to us, that while we were still sinners, Christ uh, died for us and opened our eyes uh, to who you are and to who uh, we are in ourselves. And as we've seen in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, um, in ourselves, we are sinners, but Christ has come and has um, broken the realm of sin and has uh, transferred us into the kingdom of heaven and is transforming us uh, by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for that spirit, the same uh, spirit that um, inspired uh, the writers uh, of the scriptures, such as Paul, is the same spirit that speaks to us uh, this morning. So we pray that as we uh, speak and talk of your word together, that we encourage one another uh, through it, and that you teach us by that same spirit, and you uh, unite us uh, to one another, even as we're united to Christ. Uh, be with us now, we pray, in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so, um, yeah, the plan. Um, so... When I was first thinking about um, how I was going to start off the year doing Romans 8, I, I think I initially conceived of it as two weeks, and as I worked on it this week, it's become three weeks. Because <laughs> um, there's a lot in, in Romans chapter 8, and like the cake I made for Christmas, um, I think rich things are enjoyed maybe better in smaller portions. Um, so, uh, but I'll go ahead and read for us the entirety of chapter 8, but... Um, we're going to focus our attention uh, this morning uh, on verses 1 through 13-ish. Um, we might only get to 11. We might get a little past 13. I don't know, but I'm, I'm shooting for 1 through 13 is, is the target window for us to look at. Um, and there's plenty in there for us to, um, to ponder. So now hear the word of God um, from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised, Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word may bless it to our um, use as we speak of it this morning. All right, so uh, just to, to remind you where we are, where we've been since it's been three weeks uh, since we've uh, talked together. So um, in a sense, um, we're still working through that proposition that Paul gave us way back in chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, and as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul has been working um, through these first seven chapters and into chapter eight, this idea of how is it that salvation uh, comes to us? How is it salvation is something that we receive as gift from God? Um, and if you'll recall the um, middle part of chapter 1 through um, the middle part of chapter two, chapter 3 um, focuses on this idea it has to come um, from faith. It has to be a righteousness revealed by God because um, human beings are inherently sinful and we're in, inherently captured by our unrighteousness. Um, and he, he culminates this, this point in... Um, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So this idea that no one does good, no one can become righteous through works of the law. So he starts by giving us the bad news. But then midway through chapter 3, we get that glorious, uh, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, Paul goes on to give um, um, this picture of Abraham as being the preeminent example of, of what it means to, to have a righteousness credited to, accounted to you because of faith. Um, and then Paul continues with this theme of justification in chapter 5 by talking of our union with Christ. Um, and he introduces there um, topics that we'll see um, coming up again in, in chapter 8. Um, 
uh, particularly this introduction in chapter 5 is, is where we get this reference to the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Paul, does, in chapter 5, doesn't um, talk more about the Spirit, but he, he introduces the idea, and he's picking that theme back up in chapter 8. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit has been given to us? Um, what does that Spirit do in us? Um, but in chapter 5, he's working through our union with Christ. What does it mean that we are in Christ and no longer in Adam? Um, that we've been transferred from the headship of one, the first man, to the headship of the perfect man. And through that one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And again, there's a lot of links between 5 and 8, which is why I'm camping on 5 for a little bit. Um, uh, for example... Um, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Um, and then in chapter 6, Paul uh, works, begins to work through... Um, uh, a series of, of, of objections, questions that raise from this um, teaching, and it, you know, it's these questions, what shall we say then? Um, what then? Um, you know, what then shall we say? Uh, and and there's these things like horrible things that Paul, people are accusing Paul of or twisting his doctrine of this righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and, and he begins to talk about the, the life of sanctification, how this, this transfer, transfer of headship leads to a transformation of ourselves. And um, last time we talked about um, objections that are made about what the proper relationship of the person is to the law. And Paul's affirming that the law is good um, and the law is holy and just, but because of our sin, Sin twists the law and uses the law to bring us to death. Um, and so um, there's this idea that God's good law has become the tool that sin has used to ensnare us, um, to, 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 to keep us um, locked into sin and death. Um, so, um, uh, so Paul talked about in chapter 7 this, this kind of inner warfare um, that's created um, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my own mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And that brings us to chapter 8. And chapter 8 starts with this emphatic conclusion language. Like we've seen therefore, Paul's used therefore a lot. Um, it's like every chapter starts with a therefore. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we get the therefore, but now it's an emphatic therefore. Therefore now. Um, uh, so why there is there, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? What's the basis for this emphatic conclusion 
that Paul brings us to, that there is no condemnation for those who are united to Christ. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, so a, that definitive act of, of God for us, intervening in us, like you know, that Christ has come and that through his death and through his resurrection, we die and we're raised to life in him. And so, as Teresa's saying, like there, there's this transformation. We're, we are new creatures. Um, you know, the old man, as we see in this chapter, the flesh, is being put to death. That old realm of the flesh is, is, is being um, mortified, put to death as the life of the Spirit uniting us to Christ and bringing Christ in us is, is transforming us, changing us from within. Uh, good. What else will we say about this conclusion? Therefore, now there is no condemnation. Yes, yeah, Absolutely. And that, like, that, that idea of us fulfilling the law, like, think of how much attention Paul was giving to this, this idea earlier in, in the book. Like, you know, like, no one fulfills the law. You can't fulfill the law. And now, here in chapter 8, he can say, in you, the law is fulfilled. Um, and it's because that... Um, Christ took on flesh, and Christ perfectly obeys the law, and Christ is in us, that Christ fulfills the law in us. Like, so, again, it's the definitive act of Christ on the cross creates the transformation in us, that we experience that transformation. And, uh, again, it's the, like, we can, as we try to struggle with how, what does this look like? It's the idea of, of like when, when um, Jesus said, when I came to you naked, you clothed me, and when I was hungry, you fed me. And the people are like, when do, when do we do this? Like they're, they're not even aware, in a sense, that they've, they've fulfilled the requirements of the law. But Christ is working in them, and, and kind of like the Spirit does, as Paul says, the Spirit does with our prayers and translates them. It's the way Christ is transforming our pitiful works into masterpieces of fulfilling the law. So it's, it's the definitive act of Christ fulfilling the law that, you know, as Dr. Lent says, like, you know, we, before God, we can never be more holy than we are now because he sees Christ in us.
Like, and you can't get any holier than Christ. Even though in our experience, we will experience growth and holiness. We'll, we'll see ourselves becoming more and more sanctified. But definitively, we can be no more sanctified in God's eyes now, a uh, hundred years from now, than we are now or ten years ago. Because he's, if he's seeing Christ's fulfillment of the law in us. So there's a definitive work of sanctification that Christ does for us. But then he does this further work through the spirit of actually transforming us and changing us. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, that there's this, you know, and as we see um, uh, this chapter, this chapter is about life. <laughs> um, for the spirit of life has set you free. Um, you know, that is the spirit, it, it, you know, it's the spirit giving life, um, the spirit of Christ dwelling in us um, that is life producing. Good. What else will we say about this, this idea? There is no condemnation. Therefore, now, there's no condemnation. Yeah, and, and as we think about this chapter, you know, think about this is where our, you know, if you're struggling with assurance or you know people who are struggling with their Christian assurance, this is where you take them. Like, that, that Christ has definitively dealt with sin. And if you are in Christ, that sin can no longer keep you from God. Like, that sin has, has been condemned. It's been, the penalty has been punished. Um, and it doesn't mean, like, as Paul says later, like, sin is a problem. We need to mortify it and, and, you know, seek to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Like, all of that is true, but that the, the guilt of sin, the punishment that that sin deserves, isn't the sword of Damocles hanging over us anymore because the sword has fallen. The, the punishment has come. Christ bore the punishment. He bore the penalty of sin that we deserved and therefore has done away with the condemnation that, that our sin deserves. Um, he hasn't like pretended it doesn't exist. Again, sin is, as Paul has explained, sin is so serious that the Son of God had to take on flesh um, so that he could take that sin upon himself and do away with it um, to, to take the condemnation that we deserved, to take the wrath of God, the punishment of God that we deserved upon himself 
so that the penalty is paid, sin's claim over us is extinguished. And then the second half of the, the exchange, as Pastor Kerr said, is that, in that we're clothed with his, we receive his righteousness. We're clothed in his holiness and that we have been sanctified. So we're seeing both sides of that, that glorious work of Christ on the cross for us, dealing with our sin, dealing with the condemnation our sin deserves. So there's no condemnation because Christ was condemned in our stead for us um, and that he has given us and clothed us with his holy righteousness and as we'll see um, next week, you know, allows us not just to be in the presence of God, but allows us to say, Abba, Father, in that presence, that, that we become co-heirs. Uh, we're the adopted children alongside Christ, inheriting the, the kingdom that, that he himself alone deserves. It's a beautiful picture of, of what God is doing for us. Good. Anything else we want to say about the no condemnation part? All right. Well, let's talk some about um, uh, the distinction Paul's making here between flesh and the spirit. So as we think about um, uh, verses 1 through 13, um, a lot of this, of, of this section is set before or a contrast between life in the flesh and life in the spirit, walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, thinking or having the mind of the flesh and having the mind of the spirit. So what does Paul mean by this? Um, what, is, what is it, what is this distinction he's, between, he's making between flesh and spirit? Is he a Manichaean and saying matter's bad? <laughs> we just need to get rid of our bodies. <laughs> What does he mean by flesh? What do you think? Okay, so he's not talking about, you know, you know, he's not this dualist, you know, platonic dualist making a distinction between flesh, bad, spirit, good, in that sense. You know, so it's, it's not that there's something wrong um, with our, it, physical body, so it's not our embodiedness that's the problem here. Yeah, Mike.
Yeah, and again, it's that link, like the connections between five and eight. And that's what Paul is working, like, well, how can, like, how can, you know, Christ, the death of one person, save me? So, like, the flip side, like, you're, you know, the objections you're dealing with, like, well, how can I be condemned because one man's act? And Paul's like, no, that's good news. <laughs> because, it, you know, you know, just as all died through the one act of the one man, Adam, so life comes through the one act of the one man, Christ. Like, so it's like, you know, well, if you object to that... <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. So, you know, you need the eyes given to you by the Spirit to, to see this, um, to understand this. Um, but even if they don't believe it, it's true. It's the same way, like... Um, you know, uh, we could literally say that um, I launched a missile that killed an Iranian general on Friday. Well, I didn't push the button. I didn't make the decision. But I'm part of this overall body, the United States, that, that did this action. And so now I, you know, if I was traveling in the Middle East, I would be a target because I would incur the guilt of the act, it's that kind of collective sense of humanity that we as modern individualistic Americans, we don't understand, we don't like that idea, but, but in a sense, it's true. Like, if you're part of any collective, when the collective does something, you know, you're implicated in how the collective acts. And we are a collective either in Adam or, or in Christ. And you know, if we're in Adam, if we're in the flesh, we're, we're trapped in sin and death. Um, and, and that's, you know, the idea here. You know, if we're in the flesh, we can't please God. If we're in the flesh, or to set the mind on the flesh, is death. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's to be in Adam. It's to be dead in our sins and trespasses and under the condemnation of those things. But to be in the spirit is to be in Christ and to, to have this, the, the word that Mike used, like it's, it's you know, our, a change of nature, a change of state, like our status has been changed. Like so to be in the flesh is to be of a particular um, mindset. Um, you know, to be oriented in a particular direction versus to be in the spirit is to be oriented in the completely opposite direction. You know, to be in the flesh is to be in the realm of death. To be in the spirit is to be in the realm of life. Good. What else does Paul um, teach us about this distinction between flesh and spirit in this, these passages?
Yeah, so I, I think that one reason the spirit's capitalized is, you know, um, and then I, I counted, um, and I think I got it right. Um, the word spirit shows up 21 times in Romans 8. Um, so, and, and all but two are references to the Holy Spirit. So I think the spirit is capitalized because, as you said, like some of these sound like it's us doing it, and then something sounds like something outside of us. And that's what Paul's saying. It's something outside of us is dwelling in us that's transforming us. Um, that, um, you know, uh, this reference, you know, for example, the, the idea of those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit um, you know, he's talking about how our lifestyle is being transformed by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And even though, like, I, the Holy Spirit is referenced more in this chapter than any other chapter in Scripture. Um, I mean, if you want a chapter that talks about the Holy Spirit, this is it. <laughs> Roughly every other verse um, uh, more in the first half than the second half, but again, like just from a numerical standpoint. Um, but the focus isn't on the spirit. The focus is on, as typical in um, the spirit, the spirit is like the behind-the-scenes person who doesn't want to be out front, <laughs> but is the one who's really doing everything. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, doesn't want the credit, but it's the one doing the work. Like so, the spirit. The, Paul's focus isn't to present a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Paul's purpose here is to talk about what the Spirit is doing in us. Um, and the Spirit is what is enabling us to walk in accordance with the law of God. Um, it's the Spirit that you know, is the power um, that you know, is, is energizing us to be able to do the things that Paul has said, you know, through the first seven chapters, in ourselves, we can't do. Um, you know, we need something outside of us to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from bondage to sin, to free us. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit of life has set you free. Um, and that Spirit's in you enabling you to walk, um, that it's the spirit that has changed, you know, the way you think and see the world, as Mike was saying, you know, this contrast between the believer and the non-believer. The believer is filled with the spirit of God, and therefore the believer sees the world differently and now has the ability to act differently than the unconverted moral person can do. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, what you desire changes. 
And it's why, you know, it's, that is the basis for we're not, um, you know, dealing with this passage today, but when we deal with it next week. For I considering the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. Like, how can you, like, suffering, like, the, these sufferings, you know, in comparison, the sufferings are worth less than the glory that, you know, we're going to receive. How can you possibly come to that conclusion? It's because what you value, what you desire, has been changed by this work of the Holy Spirit. Again, changing us from within so that the very things we, we want and long for, our desires, have been changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Good. Anything else we want to say about this division between flesh and spirit? Yes, or it's the, it's, it's the, I would say the disobedience is what Paul is saying is walking according to the flesh, but it's, but it's the idea that disobedience is coming from somewhere. Um, you know, the, the disobedience is, is, you know, it's the way, like, like if you want to, it's those dis debates you have in seminary, like, at what point did Adam really sin? <laughs> was it when he took the bite of the apple or when he thought about it would be a good idea to take a bite of the apple? Like, you know, he, you know seeing, like, the desire that he's expressing, seeing it's pleasant to the eye, and, like, all right, like he's already gone down the road, like, you know, I, not, not to enter. But, like, the disobedience is, is fundamentally um, coming from our, our innermost self you know, our heart, our being. And that's why, you know, our dead hearts have to be transplanted with, you know, a heart of flesh while, you know, we have to have this life-giving spirit in us that enables us to start putting these acts of disobedience to death in our bodies. Like, it's the phrase I used um, uh, three weeks ago, um, the idea, like um, Thomas Boston, the fourfold state of man, like we're, we're changed from not being able to do good to being able to do good. Like that's what the Spirit has, has changed our nature to now we are, you know, by the Spirit's direction oriented to the good. So even when we do sin, now we, we feel guilty for it. Like, you know, we, we see the guilt of our sin, we repent, um, and, and all of that is being produced in us by the Spirit. So the way we act, whether to obey or disobey, 
you know, again, Paul's saying those acts of obedience, those outward acts come from somewhere. Um, and they come from our hearts. And so therefore, because it's a heart problem, you know, that's why we need the indwelling of the spirit. Like, you know, our innermost being has to be changed in order to change the outward actions. Otherwise, we're just, you know, we're, we're whitewashing the, the tomb <laughs> idea. Like, it's death inside. Um, so, like, so just cleaning up the disobedience uh, isn't enough. Like, we have to have the, the clearing up of the disobedience has to come from, you know, inside. It's the way, like, you know, you can take a drug that, that does away with the symptom of a particular disease without treating the root cause at all. Um, so it's that idea, the root cause of us is this internal nature being in and under Adam. And that internal nature has to be changed to make us in Christ. And that, that takes place because of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Um, so now we're in a position to, if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Like It's the presence of the Spirit in you that, that gives us the power to deal with sin in our daily lives. why he's our father. <laughs> um, yeah, and absolutely, and I think that's what Paul is getting to with this idea of, of this contrast between Christ and Adam, like this idea of why Jesus, you know, this, this language here, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So this idea that, like, Jesus, you know, he... In his human nature, his human nature could have sinned. Like, like it, it, he wasn't Superman. Like, he, you know, sin didn't just bounce off him, like, you know, bullets off Superman's chest. Like, his flesh was subject, you know, to, you know, susceptible to sin, just as Adam's flesh was susceptible to sin. But as John's pointing out, Jesus did not succumb to the temptations. And, you know, Adam's succumbing to temptations in paradise. <laughs> Jesus is not succumbing to temptations in a wilderness. Uh, Adam succumbs to temptation when he's got 
the fruit of every other tree in this garden at his disposal. Jesus is, is you know, hasn't eaten in 40 days, um, and, and he's resisting this temptation to bread. Like, the temptations of Jesus are real because he's inhabiting flesh that is susceptible to sin because it's flesh like us. But he is without sin, and that's the fine line Paul's walking here. Like, Jesus is in the flesh, um, in the idea, like, he had bodies like ours that are susceptible to sin, but Jesus isn't in the flesh, in the idea that the flesh was the controlling mindset over him, the way that we're in the flesh as fallen human beings. Um, because Jesus, as John you know, pointed out, didn't succumb to the temptation. He resisted the sin that befell Adam. Uh, Scott, I saw your hand. Yeah, it, it's, there, there is no middle ground. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's this idea of, you know, you know it, it's like we saw um, back in chapter 5. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no on the fence <laughs> thinking about which one do I want to be in. You're in one or the other. Um, and, you, and, and here, the contrast, you either have the mind of the flesh or you have the mind of the spirit, and you know it—that's the divide. You're—you have the mind of the flesh, and therefore aren't in Christ and are unconverted, or you have the mind of the spirit, and 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 are in Christ, and, and those are the two states that you can be in. There isn't a, a third option, or you're not in a neutral position to. To, to decide between one or the other. You're in one, <laughs> um, you know, and if you're in the one, you probably don't care and you're not aware of it. And if you're in the other, you're mindful. Like, and again, I think as you think about the difference between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit, as the mind of the spirit is attuned to the things of the spirit, cares about the things of the spirit. So, it, and he's saying, you know, we're, we're not being counted, this is Calvin, uh, the children of God are counted spiritual, not on the ground of a full and complete perfection, but only on account of the newness of life that has begun in them. And he anticipates here an occasion of doubt which might have otherwise disturbed us. For though the spirit possesses a part of us, yet we see another part still under the power of death. He then gives us this answer, that the power of the quickening is in the spirit of Christ, which will be effectual in swallowing up our mortality. He hence concludes that we must patiently wait until the relics of sin be entirely abolished. So there's this idea that you know, we sense that dissatisfaction because we still see death in us. And it's the irony, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, like the holier in this life, 
we, we grow, the more in grace we grow, the deeper we see our sin and feel our sinfulness. It's that perception idea. The more I perceive the gospel and what Christ has done for me, the more I feel and understand the depths of my sinfulness. And, you know, it's, it's that, that irony, like, you know, we're growing, but we feel like we're, <laughs> we're, in some sense, I feel like I'm worse than I was 20 years ago when I, or good grief, 30 years ago. <laughs> Gosh, I'm getting old. Um, you know, 30 years ago, ago when I became a believer, like some, I, I feel my sinfulness to a greater degree than I felt as a 19-year-old. Um, it's not because I'm really worse than I was when I was 19 year old, but because I've grown, hopefully, <laughs> 30 years of having the scriptures and having the presence of the Spirit in, in me, the piles of sin that have occupied corners of my life that I haven't observed are now being exposed. Um, uh, uh, Teresa of Avila talked about, like, a, you know, we're crystal houses, and once the light of Christ shines in us, all the dirt in that crystal house, um, you know, is, is exposed. And the more you clean, <laughs> the more sin's taken care of, the more light shines in, and the more you see the sin that remains. And it's, that's what our experience is. But as we experience that, Paul wants to base our assurance in the work of Christ. Like, you know, because if we're looking at, you know, the way I am now, you know, I'm going to be like Paul in chapter 7. What a wretched man am I? Um, you know, but if I'm, you know, who will deliver me from the body of death? Christ. <laughs> you know, and it's our assurance should, should be based on understanding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, not, you know, measuring how good we are, like, our assurance rests on the work of Christ and the work of Christ and the Spirit in us, not on ourselves. So in this life, we're always growing. So, so that so that would be my response. Like, so in this life, we'll like, like let's say study. Let's just not talk about sin. Let's just say studying of scriptures. Like, like I, I can study the scriptures for God willing another fifty years if I live till I'm ninety nine, and like even though I will have been at that point have been studying the scriptures for eighty years. Like, I'll know, like, this much. Like, I, like it, it'd be like, you know, trying to, to scoop the ocean out one spoonful at a time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get there um, in that sense. Um, and then when I, you know, at, you know, at our death and, you know, and we're transformed, and, you know, even then, like, we're going to spend eternity learning and, you know, experiencing the depths of the glory of God. So, um, but fr from a standpoint of sin, it's, that's when perfection comes, and that's the end, you know, 
when we get to that glorification um, and our bodies are transformed in the presence of God, that's the moment, you know, where we'll be fully transformed and perfected. Um, but from the way God sees us, God sees us at, you know, God's outside time, so he sees us, <laughs> you know, as we are in Christ, you know, so there is no past, present, or future us. Like, you know, there's a sense like he, he's already perfected us in, in that idea. So, um, so, but because we're beings trapped in time and space, we, we do experience that, that growth in time and space, if that makes sense. Eternity always makes my head hurt. Yes, Doctor. <laughs> uh, I, <clears throat> again it's the idea that that sanctification has already taken place we just haven't experienced it so 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 it's not like you know right in our experience yeah like i i don't know what that like again i don't know what death is going to be like, um, and like, you know, yeah, um, uh, yeah, but, but the scriptures teach us to, to be um, dead in the body is to be present with, in, you know, to be in God's presence, so, um, so yeah, there's going to be a definite, um, it'll be an eye-opening experience, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I will see in a sense, I'll see myself perfected even as God sees me perfected now. Like, you know, um, which is, again, it, it, the eschatological aspects of this are, are boggling to the mind. But to get back to the, to the therefore now, the encouragement is, again, there's no condemnation. Like, so you can deal with sin understanding that Christ has, has dealt with the penalty and guilt of that sin and that we have this power of the Holy Spirit, which, like, I have a whole two pages of notes on the Holy Spirit we haven't even gotten to yet, which is why, as you saw, I, when I started this, two weeks in Romans 8 became three weeks in Romans 8, and hopefully we'll get out of Romans 8 by the end of January. Um, <laughs> lifetime of Romans 8, yeah, no, we, we, we uh, I, the, the session has given me uh, an open-ended, but I'm not going to be abusive of my open-ended <laughs> offer to, to go through Romans. So we will get through Romans 8. But, but, um, but as we see, the Holy Spirit is, is doing something in us, um, you know, even as Christ has done something definitively for us. So, so like, you know, Christ is the agent of that definitive sanctification that we're progressively experiencing because of the work, continuing work of the Spirit in us. Mike, do you want to? Well, I was going to say that, you know, even as Christians, we have certain uh, Thank you. 
Yet, at that moment, we can truly have the mind of the Spirit. Um, because we will be, you know, again, to use that fourfold state idea, you know, the transformation that comes with our death and glorification is we'll, we'll become in a state where we're no longer able to sin. You know, so we've moved from not able not to sin to able not to sin to not able to sin will be that, is that final state. Um, so to be in a position where we're beyond temptation, uh, we're beyond the mindset of the flesh, um, that will be a glorious transformation. All right, well, we're at time, um, beyond time. Uh, so let me uh, close with some prayer, but we can pick up uh, with the Holy Spirit next week. And-